morning, everybody, and welcome back to my channel. Uh, today, I'm super excited to have author Sarah Pensker with me uh, of the brand new novel that just came out today, We Are Satellites. Sarah, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm chatting with people and having fun. <laughs> no, no better way to do it, right? You know, pub day, you get to talk about your brand new book. Uh, I know that's exciting. Uh, you know, were, were you nervous, I guess, leading up to today or were you just like, all right, let's just get this out in the world? <laughs> uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't nervous so much as like with, with books. There's a funny thing where especially in pandemic times where there is nothing you can do at the time that like is leading right up to it. Like it's not like you're postering the city or, or anything like like maybe you can go sign some books at a bookstore. And and really, that's that's kind of it. So like yesterday I made a. Uh, like I spent the day making a playlist. <laughs> like, like I, I didn't know what else to do. So now I have a, a playlist that I'm gonna like, give to people later on. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what else you do. <laughs> that's kind of awesome. I, mean, I, I feel like that's uh, that's kind of slowly becoming a thing. Is, is is playlists with books? I know. Uh, uh, you know, I read a lot of fantasy. So uh, Nick Eames did one for Kings of the Wild, and then continued the trend with the with the second novel, Bloody Rose. And I was like, I think more people need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I did one for my last book, but that was a music book, so I hadn't thought about it for this one. And then, and then yesterday, I was just so desperate for for the right thing to do. Not not like I have nothing to do, but like I, just something that could point me a little bit in the energetically. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. So uh, just quickly, I want I want to start off. Um, I'll, tell me about yourself. Uh, tell me kind of how you got into writing, and then kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Yeah, I've been writing my whole life. I, I started sending stories off when I was like twelve or thirteen, and uh, somewhere along the way, someone said like writing is not an actual career; uh, you can't make a living at it. And I took that to heart, and so um, I decided uh, that I would go into the far more lucrative career of being a, a folk singer songwriter. And um, I, I made it in music for a few years, and uh, then I started um, started heading back towards fiction again, uh, and and I started getting uh, stories published, and uh, and then I wrote a novel, and then I wrote another novel, and now we're here. <laughs> hey, so uh, I have a question. Have you ever talked to uh, to Josh Mallerman uh, at all? Because uh, I know you know he he started off. In, in, a, in a band, you know, he'd been writing for years and writing on the road and so forth. I feel like you guys would have a bunch of great roadie stories. And Wow. I actually didn't know he was a musician. Uh, there, yeah. there are a whole bunch of other musician writers, um, but I didn't know he was one of them. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. So his band actually did the uh, the song that's the intro to Shameless. I don't know if you've ever watched that show before. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I think that'd be really interesting to have you all kind of talk about, you know, stories on the road and writing and so forth. That'd be really cool. Um, but I, I talk to him every now and then just just about that. And I think I think they're kind of starting to kind of slow down kind of their, you know, going out and doing shows. But, you know, of course, he's practical all the time now. So. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about your writing process. I know, you know, clearly this is, uh, this is your second novel, uh, out. I know you've got a couple of published, published stories out there and so forth, but how has it maybe changed from your first book to now, or has it changed? Uh, a whole bunch had to change in the last year about my writing process, just because, uh, I'm a, I'm a coffee shop writer mm -hmm. and uh, I couldn't do that. So I had to learn how to write in my own house, which is, which is a silly thing. Um, but but there's so many distractions. I, I had to to learn what would work for me for that. Um, I'm a big fan of, 
I, I, I take my dog on really long walks. That's mostly my, my writing process comes down to walking the dog or going for runs. Um, mm. I, I find that a lot of, a lot of what I do is figuring things out when I'm not sitting in front of the computer so that when I sit down in front of the computer, I know what I'm, I know what I want to do next. Um, so it tends to be like short bursts. Uh, I've, I've had to learn a few times that the longer I sit in front of the computer, the less likely I am to, to get good work done. And that like an eight hour day of writing is not a, like, I won't get anything more accomplished if I sit here for eight hours than I do in two hours or maybe like two hour, two, two hour stints. Like that, that's sort of my maximum. And after that, like the, the running and the walking and the playing music, doing anything but writing helps me write. So I've had to learn that a couple of times. Um, and when you get on deadlines and you start writing and writing and writing and trying to slam, slam towards that deadline and you say, okay, I, I'm not going to take the walk. That's when I get gummed up. Um, because mm-hmm. I, I forget how connected those things are. I gotcha. Yeah. I, I can understand about, you know, the whole kind of sitting behind a computer <laughs> all day. You, you, you kind of, your mind kind of starts to wander and you're like, you know, let's think about looking this up. And then you just get into a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of shot. I mean, you know, clearly a lot of people, that's kind of what they do. They wake up first thing in the morning, grab a cup of coffee and then start writing. But yeah, I kind of wish I had that. I don't have that yet. Maybe, maybe this summer, my, my wife's a teacher. So we're like up at five, she gets ready for the day and goes, and then I've got about 30 minutes before my daughter wakes up and then it's go, go, go with her. So yeah, crazy. You know, I, I have, I have a group, this has evolved in the last year, but I have a group of people that I do meet um weekday mornings uh it, where where we get together we talk for a couple minutes and then we write um and half an hour of like writing on zoom where you have people like also there staring and doing the same thing you can get a lot accomplished because that's time that you are like not checking anything else you know people are watching you that's that's what coffee shops always did for me is I created this fiction where uh, like the internet doesn't work like I would turn off my Wi-Fi and say this is a place with no Wi-Fi even though that's not true but that was my fiction and I'd say and everyone is watching you work um, they all they all know if you start doing something else and, and so that that's why coffee shops work for me and apparently Zoom works on the same principle like they're all watching you work no they're not they're like all doing their own thing but but. I can I can play that game with myself, and somehow I'm I'm very gullible when it comes to convincing myself of things. I got to yeah, it's it's like one of those things. Like okay, somebody knows if we're gonna open Twitter, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and and start getting stuck into into scrolling down. Um, so as far as your writing process go, do you do you plot a lot uh, on your walks, or do you you know do you just kind of get an idea and you're like, all right, let's just jot some stuff down and kind of see where it takes me. The walks can help me plot like the next thing. Um, I've always been uh, a pantser, if, if we're going that way, the plot versus uh, see to your pants writing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've never been a, a big plotter. This book, uh, because it was the second book in a contract, I actually, I did owe as part of the contract a um, an outline, which I had never done before. And I complained the entire way leading up to it. Like, this isn't part of my process. I can't believe I have to do this. And, and then uh, it completely surprised me. It, it turns out that a, a, an outline can actually be a very useful tool. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, I can't promise I'm going to do it again, but I'll certainly like try to remember that, um, it, that, that you can use it. You can look at it 
look at it as as a tool and uh that helped me get over a hump there was a part that i was stuck on and that outline actually helped get me past it so now i know i gotcha uh so who um you know you said you started writing then you went into music and then you kind of got back into writing who uh who were probably some of your your influences or inspirations when you were growing up and maybe even now that kind of got that writing bug going uh, I was I was fortunate to grow up in a house that had a, a ton of science fiction and fantasy. My dad had a uh, his he had subscriptions to the magazines, and and like every back issue ever was sitting in the house, and all of the uh, year's best anthologies um, for fantasy and horror and science fiction, and lots and lots of collections and all the like science fiction book club editions of everything. Um, I have a lot of his books here. Um, but so it was, and it was a lot of the the '70s writers who focused more on the social aspect, like so, um, uh, Le Guin and uh, Delaney and Butler and Vonda McIntyre and um, that uh, that sort of person, like a whole bunch of of just more more humanist science fiction writers. I gotcha. Um, can you tell everybody a little bit about your first novel, um, A Song for a New Day? Um, you're, you're a relatively new author to me. I mean, clearly We Are Satellites is the first one that I've read by you, but I'd, I'd like to know more about it and maybe the audience would too. Yeah, sure. Uh, a Song for a New Day is, uh, it's based on a, one of my uh, novel, a novelette that came out in Asimov's uh, a few years ago. And uh, it's about a musician in the before and after of of a big event, which is a pandemic that is remarkably like the one that we ended up living in. Um, it's, it's sort of a, a, a two things that come in at once. It's, it's a, whole, a big um, mass, uh, it's not a mass shooting. There's a whole bunch of mass shootings and then there's a bombing. And then also there's a, a pandemic. And that combination of things, the government starts saying, stay in, everyone needs to stay in, we have some information. So it's a lockdown that, uh, continues and long after the threat is passed the lockdown continues so the book takes place in the before and after um and it's it centers on a musician and also someone who grew up who, a musician who knew the before and the after and knew the difference and then uh, a young a young woman who had grown up entirely in this after where everyone is separated and locked down and there's new technology to to help connect people um, so yeah, so so a, a really remarkable amount of my book ended up coming true, which was not what I expected or wanted, um, but it, it made for a very interesting year. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it's sort of like, did Sarah predict this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did, as it turns out. Um, uh, what I say is just that I asked the right question, like, like a lot of writing near future science fiction is asking what if questions, and sort of following them and then asking and then and then and then and finding those uh, trying to sort of narrow down what would happen. And I happened to pick the right path um, mm. to, to get us. And because it was a book about musicians um, or and music fans, I think it resonated with a lot of people because because you know, even though that's sort of a narrow view of the world, it's also a view that a lot of us are seeing right now because music is one of the main things we really cannot have mm -hmm. live music at least yeah 
Yeah, and you know, I've I've been keeping up with a, a whole lot of you know kind of what they're doing to kind of alleviate that until concerts are a thing again. Granted, I know there's a few like smaller venues, at least in Alabama, that are still trying to have shows kind of later in the summer, later in the year. Um, but I know they've been doing like a lot of live concert kind of mm-hmm. thing, like you know where where it's either replays or or maybe even new stuff where it's just the band <laughs> in a small area. Um, so, uh, as far as we are satellites, I mean, clearly today is publication day. Uh, I know, you know, excitement is ramping up. Can you, can you tell everybody a little about it? I mean, I've read it, but everybody else that, uh, that, that would be interested in picking it up. Yeah. So we are satellites is the story of, um, one family and a technology that starts sort of taking over everything. So it's, a um, it's told from the four points of view in this family and uh, there's a, a brain implant. It does a really small thing. It helps you multitask and is basically, is basically the, the short version. And it, the book starts with the son uh, in the family, a teenage son coming home and saying like everyone in his class is getting this thing and he needs it to keep up. And um, it starts becoming more and more common. So, so, uh, one of his moms is a person who is a happy early adopter of of things, and she really sees the the advantage of doing it, and she likes the idea. Um, his uh, the their daughter has epilepsy and uh, is on the list of therefore of people who cannot get it, and then the other mom uh, is is someone who's more cautious about technology and also out of solidarity with her daughter decides not to get it. So, so it ends up, it's a story of a new technology told from the points of view of these four people in this family, one of whom uh, needs it, one of whom wants it, one of whom uh, can't get it, and one of whom doesn't want it. Yeah, and, and it's a fantastic story. Uh, I mean, I, I really, you know, you kind of you feel for all the characters as you're going through but David is the one who really stuck out, not just because that's my name, but but he his character really stood out because I mean it it slowly kind of really just becomes a story about him, uh, you know, once you get to a certain point. Um, and you just you really feel for the guy. I mean, you you feel for him for the most, you know, most of the story itself. Uh, but just you know, as you know, he he gets back from from this war and then you know starts trying to get back into society uh and just all these issues that have plagued him since the very beginning. Um, so, so I want to know, uh, and the, the technology is called the pilot. Uh, what, what research went into, uh, you know, this technology, uh, you know, or, or what went into developing it? So a lot of the research was into medical devices versus, uh, medication, which was a real eye opener in terms of, uh, really what you could get away with, um, I, I see like a lot of times research is kind of a limiting factor and helps hone hone the idea. So so the original idea was was an implant uh, that had started out as something developed for epilepsy, but as is the truth with a lot of things developed for epilepsy, they turn out to be useful for other things and not for everyone with epilepsy. Um, that, that's just sort of the nature of it. And so I started thinking about what would happen if if you had something that that literally became was everywhere and and you had to watch it as it um as it as it permeated the culture and you were the person who couldn't get it so so the original idea was kind of sophie's idea um 
because it's one thing to watch as something develops that, you know, at least it's helping someone else, but to watch it develop for commercial applications and not you would be really frustrating. So it was a lot of medical device uh, research, a lot of what I can and can't do with a brain implant. Um, Cause you could go the big, like the big science fiction idea would be like the Siri in your brain type of idea. Um, like it would be easy to go big, but not as realistic. And I find that like trying to get realistic will often help me focus the idea. So, so I asked neurologists and, and, um, and neuroscientists like what, what, what they would do like and how, what I could get away with saying that this thing does and, and coming up with something that just stimulates the brain in a way that makes you multitask or feel like you're multitasking um, seemed like a small thing, but also something that people would be on board with, like, especially if it became something that you needed in order to, to get anywhere in society. So. Yeah. And it's really interesting how you did the dynamics of, you know, say from like, uh, perspectives of, of different careers. Cause you know, it ends up having like a military, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? use, I guess is the word. Um, and just, just the way, you know, say, say David uses it versus how his mother uses it. Um, it was just a really interesting kind of difference. Cause you're like, okay, multitasking, like, you know, you can do two or three things at once and you can also be thinking about something else while you're doing something. Um, but you know, it, it kind of, it, made me think about like when I was in high school uh, and, you know, I mean, I know it's, it was probably before I was, you know, my younger years, but you know, ADHD and ADD was kind of really becoming like, Oh my gosh, everybody's got it. You know, kind of thing where everybody thought they had it. Um, and I noticed that, that some peers of mine were taking Adderall because it would help them like laser focus. And it, the pilot kind of, kind of had like a similarity with that just because it was that, that focus, ability and be able to kind of tune everything else out. Now, you know, a couple of our characters in here don't have that ability uh, to tune things out. It becomes a little bit more aware. Um, but that was kind of my thought as, as I was, especially as I was getting towards the end. And I was like, man, that, that kind of reminded me of just kind of those years. Cause I was like, wow, I wish I had something that would help me focus. So well, <laughs> help me, you know, be like study and also not think about everything else. Just kind of have it kind of stuck in the back of my mind. Right, right. It's been fun talking to people and like finding, like figuring out who who would actually do it and who wouldn't, because um, it you know it does seem useful. Like it, like what are the downsides? You know, it seems useful, but there are downsides. So. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know that, yeah, especially if it if it goes wrong, right. <laughs> which 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 we see the downsides in the novel right. if it goes wrong. Um, do you talk about the impact of uh, technology on our society and in our personal lives, you know, its expectations, its consequences and how it could shape our future? Yeah. I mean, every new technology has, has, you know, this cusp where, where it could be the thing that, that changes everything. It could make millions of lives easier, but then there's usually downsides and, and we're really we're pretty good at looking at like near near term results, but maybe not the 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 further implications. So so we end up with you know, and some of the companies have ethics officers who will say maybe we should do this and not this, but but even those are sort of limited. So so if you look at like the the documentary about about Facebook that was all around last year, like like and the the things that they 
anticipated and the things that they didn't. I, I think that that's always the case. There are things we anticipate, there are things we don't. Um, there are things that are absolutely life-changing with any new technology. And then there are gonna be people who are left behind and people who are actively hurt. Um, if you look at like smartphones, like they, uh, they've changed the game, not just, you know, like we have a computer at our fingertips. We always know everything we need to know, whether like we can check our bank account, we can um, uh, get a map instantly, we can reach people when we need to. And then there's this additional layer of things that it can do, like um, it can recognize currency, like there are all these uh, apps for people with visual impairments, like it can recognize currency, it can tell you uh, what color, two pieces of clothing are so you can dress yourself without clashing. Um, and there are all these fantastic things that we can do with it. And uh, is it changing our attention span? Yes. And is it, you know, there are all these other things too. Is it, um, did it make it difficult when when people were starting to, to get their vaccine appointments? If you didn't have a smartphone, were there people who were struggling to make appointments? Yes. Uh -huh. uh, so so there's there's good and bad for everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that whole thing about attention span, it, I, I hate it because <laughs> I feel like I always have to have it. And it's really not even just for like social, the social aspect of it. I mean, for like for like work and you know, all, and like I said, checking bank accounts, your credit card statements, etc. I feel like you know everything's there, so I just have to constantly kind of be in the know. And I feel like kind of like the pilot does; it kind of reprograms your brain, and it's like, all right, you got to make sure that you're always on it and so forth, and. You know, it'd just be nice to like be able to set it aside for like a week and right. freak out that, you know, you're not dead or anything. Um, you know, if, if we could go back to just, you know, corded phones in the home, you know, right. <laughs> and be able to, you know, call your friends up when you need to. But yeah, it, it, it's it's really changed just how society works now. Because I mean, I, I remember being a kid and just being like, all right, come home, you know, when the lights and streetlights come on. And otherwise, your parents just kind of like, you know, do whatever. Now, can't leave the house, <laughs> right. go anywhere because people have so much access now. Right, and even the thing where where like kids right now, like so, there's no more house phone. Um, so you remember like calling your friends and being like, hey, you know, hey, what's up? But like, if you don't, if you're not old enough to have a cell phone yet, but you're not, but your family doesn't have a house phone, like how are, especially in a pandemic, how are kids reaching each other? Um, mm -hmm. You know, are they how do yeah, it's fascinating. Like, like maybe they they're allowed to use like Kid Messenger or whatever, but but like, like do they call the parents' cell phone and then ask to speak to the kid? I think that might be what they're doing right now. But yeah, yeah, it, it, it's interesting to see just kind of like how how our society would have done during 2020 and still into 2021, you know, without cell phones or just I mean, cell phones maybe without even like internet, you know, like what. Right. We just had the you know Nokia bricks that just had snake and you know right. on it. Um, you know, it'd be really really interesting to kind of put those two together and just kind of see what those differences would have been. Yeah. Um. So uh, last, well, I got two more questions for you, but this kind of main one. Uh, what what's coming up next for you? Um, you know, near futures. Any ideas you're planning on for exploring fiction in the future? Yeah. Um. I'm working on a new novel, but it's it's going to be my first not near future novel. Um, during the pandemic, I couldn't write near future at all. I'm still, I'm still a little blocked on that, to be honest. Um, and uh, I've written, I've got um, horror, I've got horror stuff, I've got fantasy stuff, I've got uh, 
other kinds of science fiction. I just cannot write near future right this second. So, so this is a sort of, I don't want to say historical fantasy has a certain ring to it. It, it isn't quite that, but it's, it's somewhat historical. Okay. It's somewhat uh, fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best kind. Yeah. <laughs> um, and last thing I have for you, uh, what are some, uh, some maybe novels you've read here recently that you'd recommend? I'm going to draw a total blank right this second because I've been teaching all semester. Um, I've been reading uh, Isabel, Isabel Yap's new collection, uh, Never Have I Ever. Um, I am I am really going to draw a blank. Oh, uh, The Once and Future Witches by Alex Harrow. I really enjoyed that. Um, Becky Chambers' new novella, uh, a Psalm for the Well-Built. Well -built. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that one. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, th those are a couple of the things that come to my mind. But uh, yeah, I, I, mostly student stories. <laughs> for oh, that, gotcha. One, <laughs> I gotcha. Well, um, Sarah, I know uh, our time's kind of running short, but I just wanted to thank you again for coming on. Thank you for writing such a wonderful novel. Uh, we Are Satellites is out today. Uh, definitely go pick it up and look for my review tomorrow. Uh, we'll, I'll also repost our chat. Um, and Sarah, best of luck with the rest of your chats today and with, uh, you know, with selling some books. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the great questions. Absolutely. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks.